Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists who are working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Interviews are conducted with individuals who are doing clinical work as well as leading attachment theory researchers. Your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, will introduce you to Dr. Casey Call, who will explore her experiences in TBRI. Dr. Casey Call is the Assistant Director at the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. She holds master's degrees in elementary education, counseling, and developmental psychology from TCU, as well as a PhD in developmental psychology. And now your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter. Okay, so I am here today with Dr. Casey Call, and she is the Assistant Director of Education at the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. So thank you, Casey, for being with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so if you could first um, just let our listeners know a little bit about your background. Um, I I saw... um, that you did a number of things before you then pursued your doctoral degree. So uh, I think that would be interesting to hear about. Yeah, so my um, my undergraduate degree is in psychology, and so I've always loved psychology. And I started out as a nursing major, but as soon as I took a developmental psychology class, I knew that that's where I wanted to be. So I immediately changed to psychology and got a degree in that. Um, I worked at an inpatient psychiatric hospital and children's hospital in Dallas for a little while afterwards and then I came to TCU and did a master's um, with certification in elementary education and so I taught in public schools for a couple for a few years I think four or five years Um, third grade was was the grade that I mostly taught and then after that I decided I really um, enjoyed working with the students mostly at the social-emotional level, and so I came back to TCU, got a master's in counseling, and then worked as a middle school primarily and also a little bit of high school um, counseling, academic and crisis counseling, Um, and then after that, I had my first child and decided I needed a little bit more flexible schedule, and I've always wanted my PhD, so I came back to TCU and started working with Dr. Karen Purvis and Dr. David Cross at the Institute of Child Development um, working on my PhD in developmental psychology. So you have a bachelor's, two masters, and now you also com- and, and you have a PhD. Actually, three masters because on the way to my PhD, I had to get another master's in developmental psychology. Oh, Casey. <laughs> it's a little bit crazy. You're yeah, amazing. Undergraduate students. Don't worry if you don't know exactly what you want to do when you graduate because you've got time. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Um, well, I'm sure your education background has served you well in terms of um, helping others understand trust-based relational intervention and, and all that goes with that. So, so um, you know, what, what would be, if you were going to give a brief over, overview of TBRI, what would you say? Um, I would say it's evidence-based. We have evidence from many different settings, um, different professionals, um, parents, you know, uh, we have, so it's evidence-based. We have the evidence that shows that it is effective and an effective intervention. It's a holistic intervention, which I think is what um, 
what I like so much about it, it doesn't just address behaviors or it doesn't just address attachment. It kind of takes into account um, the whole child and it's attachment based. So at the heart of TBRI is attachment and connection um, with caregivers. And um, it's also, it's a sensory rich environment. So we're making sure that we're not only meeting the, the child's attachment and connection needs, but also meeting their physical and physiological needs. Mm-hmm. You know, I like um, that you pointed out the sensory environment because the first time I heard um, Dr. Purvis speak, um, she was talking a great deal about that. And in fact, the first time that she came to Chaddock was really, I wanted some kind of consultation about our environment. And, um, you know, I know sensory processing disorders being treated by an occupational therapist, but she was saying so much about neurochemistry and how even neurochemistry can relate to your environment in terms of histamines around the air and things like that. And talk to me a little bit more about that piece, because I think that's something really unique about TBRI. Well, I think a child doesn't have to be diagnosed with sensory processing disorder for us to be able to make a huge difference in behavior and, um, you know, copability or capabilities of of the child. paying attention to things like transitioning them from one activity to another, paying attention to uh, making sure that, you know, they're getting enough physical activity, um, that they're getting the, you know, I mean, if you want to talk about it from an OT term, they're getting enough proprioception every two hours and they're getting enough vestibular activity, you know, every four to six hours and they're getting tactile stimulation every, you know, two hours. So it's taking those things into consideration for kids even who don't have a formal diagnosis or who aren't working with an OT. Um, And those things can make a huge difference. And, And tools that OTs use can make a huge difference. So things like weighted blankets or weighted vests can help a child, you know, actually sit and listen to a math lesson where maybe they couldn't before. Or things like a fidget. Um, you know, I saw one teacher, a fourth grade teacher, who had a who had a student who never did any math because they were, you know, they, they couldn't focus, they couldn't attend. And she, what she did is she put a little basket of fidgets on his desk and a timer, a sand timer. And she said, okay, you have one minute to do math. And then you have one minute to play with the fidget. And she said, uh, she said he was, he was doing the most math that he had ever done throughout the entire year. And so it's trying to meet those needs, even for kids who don't have a formal diagnosis, that they can make a huge difference in what they're able to do successfully. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and for adults who, who don't, yeah. you know, a lot of this can be helpful for adults too. And I think it's so important, you know, what you're saying about the education environment, because I think, um, the typical thinking about things like that is, you know, I don't want the child distracted or, you know, I know doc, Dr. Purvis was always really big on gum chewing and, you know, schools like have sometimes about gum and you know these different things that are sort of seen as something that needs to stay out of the classroom and needing to educate teachers on no this could enhance uh, learning this could make your job easier instead of harder so right yeah chewing gum was the uh, only way that my son was able to practice piano chewing gum and with a weighted blanket you know and then we could get 10 minutes of practice in so Chewing gum is a huge, <laughs> a huge, uh, a 
way to get some focus and attention in kids. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, um, when you came to the lab, um, you know, when I first um, heard Dr. Purvis speak and met Dr. Cross and met some of you guys, I don't even remember the model having a name. I just remember calling it, like, TCU stuff or Camp Purvis stuff from the camp or stuff you guys were putting together. <laughs> you know, so where, where, where did you come in at that evolution very early, right? Very, I started in 2007, right when The Connected Child had come out. And if you read The Connected Child, it doesn't have the current terminology. It doesn't have TBRI in it anywhere. And so it was about that time that we started um, making it more formalized and coming up with a name and the principles and kind of, I think over the next probably two to three years, we started um, figuring out kind of the the, what the framework would look like in totality. Um, so now we have, you know, TBRI, and then we've got three principles, and each principle has two strategies. And, you know, we, we the paper in 2000, we've got a TBRI um, theory paper that was published in 2013. And I think working on developing that paper kind of helped us to solidify um, kind of the structure and organization of TBRI. So it was cool to, get, to be a part of that with, Dr. Purvis and Dr. Cross and get to sit in on those conversations and uh, learn from them. And and tell me a little bit what that was like, just trying to sit around and operationalize and quantify what exactly are we doing? How can it be um, reproduced in other environments? What was that process like? Well, it was really organic. Um, I think because we started out with the camp and without you know, I think a lot of interventions start with, okay, here's our intervention, let's see if it works. And ours started with, let's do this camp. Oh, wait, this worked. So now let's try to formalize this and make this into an intervention, you know, by, by based on what we did and what worked. And so I think it was really organic. That's what one of the things that I've always been drawn to about TBRI is that, um, you know, it, 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 it's more of a top a bottom-up approach than a top-down approach. And so I think when we were um, formalizing the intervention, it, you know, Dr. Cross and Dr. Purvis had been thinking about this since the late 90s, about what had worked. And so they had already had, a, a, you know, they already had ideas about what it worked. It was just trying to organize it and make it, you know, they had collected research on the cortisol data of, you know, and the attachment behavior data and the sensory data. Um, so they already knew kind of what the pieces were. And I think it was just putting that into a framework where we could teach others when it became really important to uh, to make it, to make it organized. I think, you know, we, we started originally with the camps and then moved more towards, and there was, there was parent training involved in that, but then we moved more towards training the parents because the kids would have great success in the camps and go home. And if the parents weren't able to support that success, you know, it wasn't long-term um, behavioral change. And so then we started really trying to formalize TBRI in order to teach the parents how to continue the things that we were doing at camp at home. Um, and then from that evolved, really looking at, okay, the, the parents are going back and they're understanding what to do, but then when the wheels fall off, they don't have support from the people who are around them, therapists and social workers and caseworkers and the people. So then we started saying, okay, so how can we formalize this to train other professionals? And, and then 
after that, now we're, we're, we are training whole systems of care. We have a, it started with a project in 2013 where we have been working in the Austin area called the Travis County Collaborative for Children. And down there, we have trained everyone who's involved in child welfare. So we have judges and attorney ad litems and CASA workers and um, our child protective service workers, therapists, occupational therapists. We have hospitals who are partners, juvenile um, detention centers that are partners. Really, everybody that comes in contact with children um, in the child welfare system are on board. And so what we've seen over those few years is Everyone's speaking the same language. They're making uh, decisions for children based on attachment research. Um, And so uh, the intervention has evolved from how are we going to show parents what to do to how do we teach this to a judge? How do we teach this to a CASA volunteer who sees the child, you know, twice a week? And so I think operationalizing it in order to to be able to to share it and spread it has been the most um, significant. Mm-hmm. Reason, I guess, motivation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I know this is delving into a detail, but I was always so fascinated from the very beginning about um, looking at neurochemistry and the cortisol uh, levels and um, hearing about even looking at cortisol levels in the parents. Um, could you just share a little bit about that, that piece of, of the work that you all did at the lab? Yeah, so um, one is, I, I think the most significant research that we did was looking at the child's cortisol levels prior to coming to camp and then during camp throughout the, um, it was a five-week camp where we recorded cortisol levels of the one I'm thinking of and then post-camp several months out. And what we found is that levels became into the normal range the second during the second week of camp. Um, and... I believe, I mean, what what kind of our theory was, what we hypothesized was when the children started to feel safe and connected and attached, then they were able to kind of go from those fear-based behaviors into more attachment-rich pro-social behaviors um, and actually learn some new skills. It's kind of like they were, you know, working from that fight, fight, or fear stage, and then whenever they we were able to um, calm the fear and kind of... Um, help them to, you know, the provide felt safety, they were able to use their whole brain and the executive functioning skills and, and learning. And um, and then we would see the cortisol level go back up towards the end of camp as they would kind of get anxious about it ending. Um, and then post-camp, um, there weren't really any conclusive results. It would depend on how well the family was um, able to support a TBRI environment in their house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so... You at at TCU, you had sort of the opposite, at least this is how I've always envisioned it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You had sort of the opposite problem of a lot of models where they're like, we need to get some data, we need to get some assessments. Um, I always envisioned you guys with like data busting out everywhere, having all these AAIs, having this cortisol stuff, having, you know, pre and post assessments. Like almost I imagine your problem being more, like which data do we pick, you know? And and uh, so is that is that right? I mean, that was very correct for a, for a number of years, and it was a person, it was a manpower, you know, or woman power. We did not have enough people in the office to go through the data and analyze it and write about it, and so it, it 
there's still a lot of data sitting in our file cabinets that has not been used. So that's probably in some ways though a good problem to have. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now we're we're kind of moving our research focus more. Now that we know that the outcomes are good, we, we're moving our research um, towards implementation science and looking at how do different places implement TBRI. So how does a child placing agency implement TBRI versus a court system or a juvenile justice system? So it's really interesting some of the data that we're getting back, the differences and, and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... For me, a conversation about TBR, TBRI would not be complete without some discussion about the AAI um, because one of Dr. Purvis's really strong recommendations to, to me as, as she was coming to chat up to do training and things like that was getting somebody becoming trained in, in administering and coding the adult attachment interview. Well... So I did that, and about a week after the first week, I called her and I said, "Karen, what? This is terrible! Like, why? This is awful! This, you know, no wonder they call it AAI boot camp." I was like, "I can't! Like, I, I had no idea what I was getting into. I mean, I'm a clinician. I, I had no idea how um, complex this was, how tedious it was, how arduous it was." And she said, just, just push through it. You'll be really glad you did because, you know, no conversation with a parent will ever be the same. Um, and I did push through it, and I am and glad that I did. Um, and I learned so much from it, and it, it's really become um, a special area of interest for me in terms of looking at the intergenerational transmission of attachment in adoption, you know, where it hasn't been looked at as much. So tell me a little about your use of the AAI and, and why you would uh, guess or know that Karen emphasized that so much to me. Yes, that we have thousands of AAIs that we've administered. And so in the beginning, we administered them to parents and caregivers. Um, to provide them with some insight into how into their caregiving and how did you know how did they what skills they were bringing and what the history that they were bringing um, to their children and to their the way that they parented. Now we um, we host a kind of our our main training is our TBRI practitioner training, which is a ten week online course and then five days on site. And so included in the the phase one part of our practitioner training is um, everyone who goes is administered in AAI. So now we use them as a reflection tool. Um, we don't provide formal feedback, but we provide um, uh, informal feedback regarding the AAI, just like, you know, we saw some dismissing strategies here or some, you know, we saw some, um, you know, entangled or preoccupied strategies when you said this or you showed some secure ideas when you do this. So we provide them with some feedback to provide insight into their own history. Um, I think I think about circle of security um, intervention and when, when the parents can see the way that they're parenting and kind of when they turn themselves in, then they can start really making progress towards towards healing or towards um, doing things a little bit differently maybe. Um, and so we use the AI as a tool to provide insight for our, our professionals who we train um, to give them a little bit of, I think it gives them insight into themselves, but it also gives them insight into the, the caregivers and the children that they're working with mm -hmm. and can help them 
you know, understand more where children who are removed from their parents, you know, through the, the child protective services, it gives them a little insight of, well, their parents might be children from hard places as well, mm-hmm. you know, probably mm-hmm. them are. Mm-hmm. So, well, for building insight and compassion. Yes, yes. And we did start um, doing, um, administering AAIs to our therapists um, and then to a lot of our adoptive parents who have children in our developmental trauma and attachment program. Um, And I always remember the phrase um, Dr. Purvis used to say, gentle feedback (laughs) is what, what she used to call it. And um, yeah, so that, that has been like, a, in, in terms of my own professional journey that has, um, since, um, learning about the AI, that's been, that's been my big professional aha. And, um, we were working. It, it made, it kind of put everything into place for me. You know, when you're, I'm also a, a clinician. And so when I would meet with, with adults and with parents and try to help it, it, now knowing about the AI and adult attachment, it just frames our whole work together. Whereas before, you know, I had an idea of what I was doing, but now it feels like more of a complete picture, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so good. Um, so, um, is there, is there anything else that, that you would like to share, um, before we get to, um, you know, where can they find more information? What books should they look at? Your website, your training, all of that. Is there anything else in the front of your mind you'd just like to say about about the model? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I think we've, we've covered that. <laughs> I'm, I'm so, I was so happy when, um, after um, the passing of Dr. Purvis, that you renamed the Child Development um, Institute, and I, I think that, that that was just like such an amazing thing to do, and such a way to honor her. Um, so that's that's very nice. Yeah, we. I mean, we still hear her voice every day because there will be a video playing in somebody's office somewhere every day, and so and we think about her and talk about her and um, and remember her every single day. And then we also feel, I think more passionate and even more committed to, you know, carrying on her dream of changing the world, the entire world for all of the children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we're, we're highly motivated to continue her dream. Mm-hmm. I hear her voice in my head all the time, as you can tell by some of the, these things I've shared with you, in addition to the wonderful videos and everything. So, um, so tell us um, about getting information about TBRI and, you know, um, what you're doing at, at the, the, the Institute of Child Development, but then there's this whole Empowered to Connect thing, which is kind of another track, and I think some people get that a little confused. So if you could just say a little about all of that, that would be helpful. So um, the best place for resources on TBRI is our website, which is child.tcu.edu, and there you can find links to our training. So we offer a TBRI practitioner training, which is intense. Um, that's really for people who want to go back and, and teach others and share it with others. We also offer a trauma-informed classrooms training, a TBRI and trauma-informed classrooms training. Um, 
once or twice a year. We offer several one-day overviews of TBRI. Um, also, there are many resources on our website. One of our newest ones is the blog on our website, and so it has, um, I think the most recent one was on three questions to ask about how to help regulate your child. Um, we've had some um, posts on there on resources for educators for the back-to-school season. Um, and then another good resource is our YouTube channel. There are lots of videos. There's a lot of, um, we call them TBRI portraits, which are interviews with people who have used TBRI in different different ways. Um, there's judges on there. There are clinicians, teachers, um, parents. Um, there's also previews for all of our DVDs um, on there and some free resources. There's a 37-minute TBRI overview that's really good and another hour-long one of Dr. Purvis um, kind of introducing TBRI that are good. Um, ETC is the Empowered to Connect conference, and that happens um, now once a year. And that is done um, with closely with our partners at Show Hope. And what the ETC conference um, is, it's really a conference for parents and professionals kind of on, as a on-ramp onto TBRI and onto, um, you know, trust-based caregiving. And from there, I think professionals kind of seek out our training, but parents can seek out training. Um, it's parent training from EmpoweredToConnect.org. So those are kind of the, the differences. And the Empowered to Connect website is also a great resource. There's many videos and articles and uh, another blog post as well. And um, am I right that the Empowered to Connect also has a faith-based component um, a Bible study type thing to go with it. Yes, there's a, a it's the guide to the connected child, which is a faith based resource um, that groups or individuals can go through um, while reading the connected child book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, um, Casey, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for your contribution to the to the book and I'm so thankful to to have that um, and just thank you for the work that you guys are doing and continuing to do it's it's so credible you know top-notch science um, along with um, you know clinical application and looking at multi-system levels I mean you guys are just doing it all so um, I, I know Karen is is very proud of how you would be very proud of how you're carrying this forward. So, and thank you. Well, thank you, and thank you for the opportunity for the book. I can't wait for it to come out because I'm going to use it in my class. Great, <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Thanks so much. Right. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, TraumaAttachmentCenter.com, or subscribe to our iTunes channel for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, log on to TraumaAttachmentCenter.com. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, developmental trauma, and attachment theory.